So the, the safety aspect is at the highest. That's my biggest thing in jujitsu. Jujitsu is so rough, especially no gi. You know, and I don't think gi's not rough. I think gi's just as rough. I just feel like sometimes people come in jujitsu with this gentle art really big in their heads. And that's more of a slogan. Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. And today on the show, we have a true BJJ prodigy with us, none other than first degree 10th planet black belt, Marvin Castle. Marvin originally hails from Flint, Michigan, and his journey into the world of jiu-jitsu began at the age of 16, fueled by his passion for MMA. Fast forward a decade, and he has achieved his first-degree black belt under the guidance of the legendary master Eddie Bravo at the 10th Planet headquarters in California. But that's not all. Jean-Jacques Machado has played a significant role in shaping his grappling style, making Marvin a force to be reckoned with on the competition and superfight scene. He's known for his prowess in the three-quarter guard position and his remarkable Eminari sweep, which has garnered him fame and recognition among BJJ aficionados. Let's not forget his deadly Estima lock. Marvin now runs Dark Arts Academy in Torrance, California. His academy is unique in that it offers Sambo and puts a huge emphasis on movement classes. They also use a unique belting system, which you will hear about more in the episode. You may have heard about Marvin's Dark Arts seminars. No, it's not just about leg locks. It's a drill-based understanding of no-gi jiu-jitsu. At these intensive camps, you can expect to hone your skills, improve your timing, and flow through your techniques. And with that, I give you Marvin Castle. Marvin, welcome to the show, man. Yes, sir. It's glad to be on. So, Marvin, you are a black belt first degree under the legendary Eddie Bravo, right? Yes, sir. Master Eddie is awesome. <laughs> Marvin, I'm such a big fan. I've seen so much of your evolution since a lot of the early days at HQ, HQ meaning headquarters for listeners out there of 10th Planet in Los Angeles. So now you have your own academy, Dark Arts Academy, correct? Yes, 10th Planet Dark Arts Academy. We are located in Torrance, Torrance, CA, right off PCH. You're from Flint, Michigan originally, correct? Yes, sir, I am. What was that like and what brought you to Los Angeles? I was born in California, in Culver City, California. I call it living the sunny D life. I was living the best life ever, you know, sunshine every day, hanging with my friends, skateboarding. I never skateboarded in my life. Then my mom ended up getting a, a GM job in Michigan. So we just, you know, packed our things, you know, said our goodbyes, and we ended up moving to Flint, Michigan. I've never heard of Flint, Michigan, but I know I, I remember going uh, around the neighborhood when I got there, and I had like a yellow shirt on with like shorts, and I ran into like the first kid I ran into, and he was like, dude, you got to change it up right now. You are like a walking target right now. You don't look like you're from here. And I was just like, oh, really? It's like that. And he was like, oh, yes, it's like that. From that day, my life changed uh, dramatically. And I had to definitely uh, become a chameleon. I had to, you know, really change to my environment, you know, or it could be dangerous. So uh, Flint, Michigan was just, uh, it was a cold, tough place. You know what I'm saying? And uh, the people were amazing, though. But the place, the area, the environment, it was definitely tough. And, you know, the stories you hear are crazy. The, the more Flint water situation, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't drink too much faucet water as it is I, I definitely was a bottled water drinker but um we showered in it so um i'm probably a, a victim of it as well but i definitely think that explosion of a situation exploded once i left and it was a big surprise to me as well 
what was the tipping point for you to leave Michigan? I was doing MMA and I uh, ended up having two MMA fights and it was like underground backyard. You're not supposed to be doing MMA fights type stuff at an MMA gym that everyone was great, but I didn't have the funds to necessarily, you know, train. So he said, hey, man, if you fight for us, if you know, you clean around the gym, you know, you'd be a gym rat. Hey, you could train. So I end up training Muay Thai, wrestling, jiu-jitsu with these guys and um, end up getting ready for a fight. I end up uh, winning both these fights by triangle, but I had such a fist fight standing and like I end up breaking my my, my fingers, you know. Wow. And it, yeah, there you know. And, for you, people listening, Marvin just showed his fingers like going off to they're almost <laughs> like an arc. They're almost arcing like a banana. And I thought to myself, man, I'm breaking my fingers in my hands so early in my career. This is probably not the sport for me. You got you got to come to, you know, got to come to face with it. But I did notice, damn, I did sub these guys. You know, I did catch a triangle and I, I don't train triangles that much. But the fact that I did catch that, I might be really good at jiu-jitsu. Long story short, my mom ended up catching cancer or she already had it uh, once I was born. She ended up passing and, um, you know, it was like a big depressive state for me and my brother and my sister. And um, I, I had dogs. I was a dog breeder at the time that my mom was helping me with. So we had a lot of puppies that were still on the ground and um we started to sell them all off and um i just told my brother like look this seems like you're gonna have to go back to where you're going where you live and my sister's gonna have to go back as well and i don't want to be in this big house by myself you know so i'm gonna have to move on so you know i just uh, obviously called my family in california and i said i'm gonna end up moving back guys you know i want to be around family this is not the time to be you know uh, the little emo kid and just seclude myself you know and uh you know that that situation definitely pushed me to to move back to California. So you come to California, and I'm probably jumping ahead. You're working some sort of job, and uh, it just so happens that this 10th Planet place, you're right close to your job. Is that correct or no? Dude, like literally, I'm, I was a vet tech uh, assistant. Before that, though, I was working at like a, you know, any type of animal facility. So like I was working at a dog boarding place where I, I was like the uh, assistant dog handler in a big park. And um, on my breaks, I used to, you know, go get something to eat. And I noticed that there was a 10th planet down the street. And I was like, oh, my God, I've been watching Eddie Bravo since I literally started jujitsu. And I'm like, is he really there? You know what I'm saying? Is You know, I was so shocked. And I eventually went up there with my aunt because I ne I didn't necessarily know the area. And um, I just didn't want uh, them to seem like I, I was like, because I wasn't a, a citizen of uh, California yet. So I was uh, definitely like a newbie. So I brought my aunt up there to kind of just like, uh, you know, kind of like uh, my spokesperson. Oh, yeah, he's a good kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> vouch for you. Yeah, yeah just vouch for <laughs> me a little bit. And uh, I ended up meeting uh, Curtis Hembroff. This is like my brother. Tim Planet Austin Black Belt. Um, shout out to Tim Planet Austin and my family. Uh, you know, I talked to Curtis and we really vibed out. We we clicked immediately. And, um, you know, I did a class and um, we ended up going to the top of a building and we were uh, out there on the top of the building, kind of like drinking beers, you know, smoking a little bit, just kind of vibing. You know, I was like my first time hanging with anybody in California. He was talking to me like, man, you got a lot of skill. You got a lot of potential. And I'm like, dude, this is like my first day. Are you do you really see that? Like, you know, I, I didn't really see this that to that extent. And he was saying, man, you know, if you really take this serious six to seven years, me and you could be black belts. We'll have our own gyms. And I'm just like looking at this guy. I'm like, dude, you're from Alaska and I just met you. I feel you. But um, are you are you serious? And he was dead serious. And I, I just took him up on his offer. I was like, all right, let's do it. And, uh, you know, and that's how I became a part of 10 Planet. You know, there's something to be said about having a vision. You know what I mean? Dude. And just w w walking towards that.
man, it's, it's, it's powerful. I, I do talk to my students a lot about visualization. I feel like that's the key to my competition, uh, success. Just, you know, visualizing myself up there, visualizing me winning, visualizing me going through, uh, trauma in the match. I love that part of the game, you know, and I'm excited to get back. Don't worry. I'm not done guys. You had a very unique style. It seems like from the get go. Oh yeah, man. I definitely feel like I had a, a very submission based style. Definitely. I gravitated toward, uh, like just movement after movement. Like I tried to master every movement that I was told to get good at. So like my first good move was probably, uh, my Marcella team. That was like my main, like, I felt like I could tap anybody. It didn't matter the rank. If I touched your neck and you gave me it, you know what I'm saying? I feel like I could take you out. And, uh, I learned that power early. Yeah, you were doing this at White Belt. You were winning competitions and people with that one. Yeah, and um, it was surprising and so powerful that I actually understood it more than other people. Because there were so many guys in jiu-jitsu that were better than me. And they were so good. It used to frustrate me on why didn't these guys get out there and test themselves? The fact that they didn't showed me in my head that I had to. I had to get out here and test our this ability that we're training, where we're training high-level jiu-jitsu with Eddie Bravo. We could do damage. But, I mean, that, that was another uh, really big part of jiu-jitsu that I learned that, man, everybody's not in this for the same reason. What do you mean by uh, testing themselves exactly? Give me an example. I just felt like that's like hitting the bag for, you know, four months or two months and then starting to hit the pads. And then, you know, it's time to spar and you don't spar. How do you know these movements really work if you're not going to try them out in a real fight scene? It's just like to each and to their own. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, some people want to know how they would do. And then some people really don't want to know. And uh, I definitely feel like as my goal as a teacher is I want to be able to break you out of that show. Because like if you're there for self-defense, it's going to come a time where someone's going to try to test you. If you don't necessarily react in the right way or a proper way, it could be even more dangerous to you. That's why I feel like, you know, we should be doing jujitsu for a reason. We should have a purpose to it. I love the community. I love the people. But I uh, I definitely feel like we, we should be doing this for ourselves as well and for our families to protect those people as well, you know? What's piqued your interest as of late jujitsu was? Really just trying to learn from other people to try to build this graceful jujitsu community. That's kind of been on my head. My community is really nice, great community. All my students are, they have great manners. I'm not the most sincerest coach. That's what I've learned for myself. Off the mats, I'm the nicest guy ever. On the mats, my passion burns. It burns. Yeah, I want to talk to you about this because I've heard you mention this before that you have a lot of passion about your students or something. I wasn't clear on what that meant exactly. It sounded like there was some intensity there and being hard or, or I wasn't sure how I was interpreting that. My style of jiu-jitsu is definitely like, uh, all right, we're here to get it done. I definitely want to jump on the way I run my system. So like, so the, the safety aspect is at the highest. That's my biggest thing in jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is so rough, especially no gi. You know, and I don't think gi's not rough. I think gi's just as rough. I just feel like sometimes people come in jiu-jitsu with this gentle art really big in their heads. And that's more of a slogan. So like when I say, I mean, my passion burns, it's just like, as soon as we start our class, when you meet me, I'm like, what's up guys? Hello, I'm Sensei Marvin. You are now in movement class, right? Up in my system, we have a movement class. That's our first novice class. I call it part zero because I feel if you don't know the moves of jujitsu, it's going to be 10 times harder to learn the movements. 
you know, and the transitions and the emotion that goes into these things. So I break down from A to Z basic movements in jujitsu that we do all the time. And this class builds the confidence, the cardio, the ability to move for jujitsu before they even get to jujitsu. So when they get to jujitsu class, they don't have a problem with the warmups. They're not nervous. They're not unconfident. They're no one's holding them back. They're not looking around trying to understand what the movement is because they already understand it. Right. So when they feel embarrassed, that's a big sign that students will quit. So like I'm trying to avoid all those moments where they're going to feel embarrassed. You know what I'm saying? But still keep a strict hand. Like, all right, guys, we still I always want everyone to know what they're doing because we're explaining it. Right. So once we get out of movement class and we get to jujitsu class, this is pretty fast paced now. We're not going to be really talking about shrimping in the real jujitsu class. We're going to be talking about actually attacking and defending. I feel like the transition from movement class to jujitsu has been so smooth for me and it, it makes me have to teach less. Sometimes I feel like as teachers, we over teach. We literally do. Like we have to go through the movement, the terminology, the history sometimes because people want to know. I feel if we could break those classes down, then we can get to the nitty gritty a little bit sooner. It just seems to be a trend right now in, um, with Greg Souders, this other coach and everything in terms of like your students kind of self-discovery process without a lot of instruction, without a lot of teaching. Yeah, I do like the ecological approach. I learned about that after I kind of started my movement class, but I, I, I definitely study on it and I, I, I definitely like it and I like the videos that they do on it. Sometimes it is a little confusing for me because like the student has to know something. He has to know something to be able to do some of those games. You know what I'm saying? Or you're going to cause injury. Those ACL injuries, like those are real deal. He has like 10 G's in the bank. In my school, I'm always telling people, look guys, we're not trying to take all the L's. We're not trying to take all the L's. Trust me guys. Like I want you to be able to go home and have a great time at jujitsu. And I always inform my students in the beginning, coach is going to be on your ass because there's not a rush, but there is a pace to the learning because like, I don't want you to feel like you're slowing people down. So that's why we're going to always stay focused so we could stay on that path, you know, stay on that good pace. And um, my movement class, there's no pace. We're just moving through our movements. It's smooth. It's easy. People are like, I call my students, the, ba the, the new ones, the baby birds. They're just learning how to walk. You know what I'm saying? And it's hilarious. It's, I actually have so much fun in that class because it's so, it's amazing when somebody can do a Gramby in one month. You know how long it takes people to Gramby? Two years. Easy. So like all my students could Gramby and I always give them a hard time. I was like, you know how many black belts I know who cannot Gramby? That's a problem. You know, all the students want to see all those inversions and entries and, you know, that takes a lot on your neck and shoulders. And I, I definitely want to be able to perform every movement that my students ask. We're on this level. I do want to be able to perform those movements. And Eddie, Eddie's taught me that even if I don't play a game, I could teach it and my students could literally play it better than me. Eddie doesn't play. He hates leg locks. <laughs> he hates leg locks. And I'm one of the biggest leg lock guys in the world. You know what I'm saying? Eddie loves rubber guard. And I hated rubber guard as a white belt in a blue belt. But they told me like, look, you want to be a 10 pointed black belt? You got to have some 10 pointed rubber, black belt rubber guard. That stuck with me. I actually appreciate my coaches, Scott Ross. Shout out to 10 Planet Ventura and uh, Eddie Bravo just for like putting an initiative on me. No, I want you to get your rubber guard together and not sugarcoat it. And I, and I really appreciate that because it, it evolved me. It evolved me. It made me meet up with Jeremiah, rubber guard master, and we became brothers 
we became brothers. Shout out to Tim Planet Santa Barbara, Jeremiah Vance and all his students. These guys are amazing, man. You know, and uh, Jeremiah evolved me. It, it, show, it told me, it showed me how to be a real team player. And I still feel like I have uh, issues being a team player now as a black belt. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes being a black belt, you're like this head of in charge all the time. So when it's time to take a, a seat back, it's hard sometimes, you know? That's why I love like black belt roles because they put you in your place. That's one of my favorite things about jujitsu is like, man, like now being at the black belt level and just having those black belt roles and just get my all my ego shoved right back in my face. That's something I do appreciate. I got questions about the warm up then. I know Eddie allows each place to sort of now customize, do your own thing, do 10th Planet traditional warm ups or not. A lot of the 10th Planet black belts that I've been talking to, some do, some don't, some modify it for themselves. Where are you at in terms of like 10th Planet warm ups? In my system, guys, I go from movement class, then we go to dark arts warm ups, right? So dark arts warm ups for me are just like the 10th Planet warm ups, but more basic because the 10th Planet warm ups can get really dynamic, right? So dark arts warm ups are guard retention, passing, sweeping, wrestling, leg locks. And we go through the same setup every day. And then obviously I go through some techniques, some defense, some live drills, some sparring. From that class, you go on to game plan class where you actually go to class and you game plan for what we're going to do in the sparring. And that's the same lineup, you know, guard attention, sweeping, but they're obviously more advanced. The movements, right? And the concepts. From game plan class, these are the same classes, but game plan class is Monday. And then escape class is Wednesday because a lot of students are always complaining about being stuck in side control, being stuck in mount, being stuck in the back. I'm like, all right, buddy, you're stuck in those positions. I understand. How about you get to escape class? I think it's about time for you to get to escape class. Some students love escape class. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I really appreciate it because sometimes it's so much in jujitsu. There's so much, right? So I just try to break it down for topics. So we could talk about that topic, right? And how it connects to jujitsu, right? So then after escape class, now you can get to wrestling or sambo, whatever type of stomp, uh, stand up you like. And then we get to 10 planet warmups because this is, these are complicated, right? Like I'm saying, like once you get to 10 planet warmups, I'm firing these attack, these techniques at you. I do the 10 planet warmups, just like how Eddie says, but I do always put my dark arts twist on it. Like we don't do the same exact setups all the time. So I'm always going to put the way I do things onto it because every warm up in 10 planet warm ups, I've got a little flavor in and I'm like, you know what? If I didn't like it in the warm up, I'll probably take it out. Like if it was a transition I thought wasn't really hitting hard, I'll take it out. But for the most part, it's really the same. You know, that's really unique. One of the things that you brought up that sort of I remembered is that you do have a Samba program and also your curriculum. I'm so curious how it evolved from you opening the academy to like today, your curriculum and why a Samba class? Where did that come from? When I was a brown belt, me and my purple belt and uh, when I was a black belt, me and my brown belt, we actually went to some Sambo training camps and we had a great time. It was amazing. It was so much fun. Shout out to Riley Bodycomb. He's an animal and he's a great instructor as well very friendly guy. And I mean, he just showed us a new art. I've always been a fan of Sambo. I'm not going to even lie to you. The first movement, like brutal submission I've ever seen was a Sambo guy do a rolling Oma Plata, like crack a guy's shoulder. And I think I was hooked on jujitsu right after that, because it obviously it was Sambo, but that movement, Oma Plata was a jujitsu movement. You know, I've always just been a fan of the art. I actually had a few friends that did Sambo. So I connected with them to find a guy. Shout out to my, uh, one of my students and coach Sergey. 
And uh, I think it's great, dude. I think the students are happy that they have uh, something that a lot of gyms don't have. Literally, you'll see like my students who go to wrestling consistently at my gym, like in my classes, since my classes are a little bit, you know, mixed level and a little and a little bit higher. I do teach my beginner movement class, but I usually teach my comp, comp classes in mixed level. In my classes, even if you don't wrestle, we have one wrestling round during sparring. So we have two minutes of you just wrestling. There's no jujitsu. I tell guys, hey, man, you know, I know you want to stand up. I know you're nervous, too. But, you know, let's just get after it. You have it at the gym. You're not necessarily being charged more to do it. I feel like the students like it a lot. You know, I feel like I didn't get to stand up a lot as in, in my jujitsu career. Because we were just a, a bottom game jiu-jitsu school. And, you know, we just do jiu-jitsu. There's a lot of jiu-jitsu to do besides wrestling. You know, obviously, I did have takedowns from MMA, you know, and I still use them to this day. But I definitely feel like it's changed the dynamic of my program. Because, like, now guys are doing throws. Now guys are uh, spinning for knee bars and spinning for calf slicers, the sambo style. And um, now the students have to worry about that. And then I have to keep the safety high, you know what I'm saying, as well, when you're doing these techniques. But I think it's amazing, dude. I think it's so cool. I wish... I had a Sambo program when I was a white belt. You know, one of the details that I've seen about you, like when you teach, and one thing that really resonated with me is you do this thing where you make your, I don't know if you make your students, but they repeat what you're saying when you're doing, showing a technique, right? So you could see like, you could say something like I grab his arm and then they all say grab his arm or something like that. Usually when it's like a, like, okay, so if we're like passing the guard, right? So I'm gonna be like, all right, we're going to Toriando pass. Let me hear it. They'd be like, Toriando pass. So they know where we're at. A lot of students like to do their own thing and make up their own stuff. And like, that will get you hurt once we go live. Cause you're not, you're not listening necessarily to the coach and you're throwing your partner off as well. You know? So if he lands on you the wrong way, you weren't reacting the right way. And I'm trying to lower that threshold of just everyone getting hurt all the time. Safety is the key to my gym, literally. Like, my rules are all on the uh, wall. Most gyms hate to put up rules. I love rules. It keeps guys in line. And like, maybe it does turn students away, but my students know they're safe. The biggest bully in the gym is me. I tell the students all the time, I'm, I'm not going to let a guy bully you. I'm going to be the guy on you about just let's stay accountable. You know, I don't want my, I don't want your teammate here not having a good time because you're not listening. Let's stay accountable for each other. You know, we're a community. We're here together. You know, I just feel like the rules show people that we are in line. We are organized. We're not going to lie to you or anything like that. We're going to keep it a hundred with you. And that sometimes pushes a lot of people away too. us being so upfront, you know, and not telling students necessarily what they want to hear. You might not be the, the product for them, right? Exactly. You know, what I appreciated about the repeating process, though, is for those of us that have attention issues, you locked us back in. Exactly. And that's funny that you bring that up. I, have, I actually have a brown belt. Shout out to my brown belt, Donovan. He always talks about his attention issues, always to me. And I'm like, dude, I feel like you actually listen really well. I mean, I do give him a hard time on details. I'm like, dude, you did this so sluggish. But when you seen it, it was so sharp. Think about the intention behind it. When Allen Iverson is doing his movements, is he sluggish? He would get the ball snatched away from him immediately. And I just try to put the intensity and the urgency in the way I'm teaching with the students. So when they're out there, they're like, dang, this is aggressive. This is rough. And I'm like, exactly. Oh, just like Coach Marvin said, man, it's going to be rough out here. I want them to expect the toughness because if they don't, Man, it's so hard to come back from getting beat up. Students really take that hard. I've lost students just from like them bringing a tough friend in. And I tell guys like, hey, man, you bring your NFL friend inside here and he starts doing jujitsu. He's going to get good fast. 
and he might start beating you up. And that means you got to get good too. You know, and I've lost students just from little exchanges like that. Just a reminder to please give us a five-star review on Apple Music and Spotify and become a VIP member for only 99 cents a month. Get ad-free episodes at anchor.fm forward slash forever white belt forward slash subscribe and check us out on Instagram at forever white belt show. Go buy your forever white belt swag at teespring, T-E-E spring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. Check us out on YouTube now at forever white belt. Finally, if you ever get to beautiful Northern California, please come roll with us at North Bay Jiu-Jitsu in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. They're amazing instructors and everyone there are great people. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. What makes a great jiu-jitsu student? A kid who, who comes in the gym and he greets everyone. You know, if the sensei is like on the mats coaching, he's like, hey, what's up? You know, he at least gives you some love. He says hello to the front desk. When he sees everybody around, he greets people, you know. Even if he's not a really open person, he opens himself up to his gym. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so stretching himself. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? You know, trying to open yourself up and just be a bigger, better you. Then w- once you're on the mats, obviously, you can bow to the mats. You don't have to. You know, you just I just bow to the mats because that's just me. When they're moving and they're drilling, they put effort into their movement and drilling. Me, I'm a hard, I'm a hard ass when it comes to like, let's drill, let's do it correctly, and let's get the benefit. But most of the students that kind of gravitate to me are just kind people. Sometimes my heatness can still burn them away. You know, me, me being so hot, hot head and um, a a very serious coach like that can still turn them away but a lot of my students are very friendly and I love the students who break down the movement to their partner no matter how much they mess up I love the students who do that you know and they can do it in any way they want if it's aggressively sure if it's nice sure if it's with a dull face sure but I love the fact that they keep reassuring their partner most of my students are like they're similar to me in the aspect where if they're monitoring, like mentoring this guy, like grabbing his hands, putting them in the positions, they'll tell the guy, like, look, dude, I can't do this for you. Or look, miss, I can't do this for you. You're going to have to do most of this yourself. All I can do is help you. And I love the when they keep people accountable. That's something that's like really big in jujitsu that a lot of people in jujitsu don't do because we're all weird. We all have our emotions. We don't want drama. No one wants drama. But if you see this person every day and they're constantly doing the same thing every day, it's eventually going to affect you. So I just feel like we should always, we should communicate as much as possible. And I think a good student communicates with everyone, you know, the coaches, the, the other students. You know, he communicates about what he dislikes as well. You have a unique belt system you posted uh, recently on your IG. I saw and I asked uh, for some clarification. You changed the belt system custom for dark arts. Can you talk about the colors of the belts and what do they mean to you and your students? With me, it starts off with like blue belt is where people quit at no gi or gi, judo or taekwondo. It's all ranks. So it's like, I feel like blue belt nowadays, nowadays blue belts are training four days a week, five days a week, old or young. They're actually really good. And they love jujitsu. They have a, a fiery passion about it. For me, I feel like blue belt, it comes up a little too fast personally, because there's such a broad dynamic of blue belt. Oh, this guy did MMA. Oh, this guy did, you know, wrestling for five years. You know what I'm saying? So for me, like, I hated that everyone quit at blue belt. That was my biggest issue with jujitsu. And then I hated the concept of white belt. 
you're a white belt. You, oh, this guy's just a damn white belt. I hated those little mantras because that did not make white belts feel welcome or happy. Maybe it's funny the first time, but you know, eventually down the line, it's going to get under their skin. So at my gym, we have a, a gray white belt. The belt is literally gray and white. When they start. Yes. From day one. Exactly. So okay. like a gray white belt for me is like, you're there to master your emotions once it comes to like uh, your movements and your cardio getting in shape for jujitsu. And that's what like movement class is about. Getting in shape for jujitsu is a big thing. And that's another part of kind of like slowing people down and then feeling bad about it that I, I dislike. So if people let me, some students do, some customers don't, but once they do meet a kid that does movement class and then he does jujitsu class and they're like, man, this kid is so much better than me. I'm going to be like, dude, he's not necessarily better than you. He just has his foundation together. That's really all it is. And for me, they start at gray white. And once they get to, can you tap a solid gray? So their necks would be solid gray belt. I was a vet tech, so I'm an animal guy. I correlate them by animals. So like I start with my baby birds. They just hatched. They can barely walk. They can barely front roll. You know, it's amazing. Once they get from their baby bird stage, they get into their gray wolf stage. All right. So now gray wolf, this is a wolf pack now. Now we're fighting all the time. You're going to be scrapping all the time. I'm going to be anybody walking the gym. I'm throwing you at them immediately. Gray wolf status. You got to so-called lead the pack and they're going to be demonstrating movements in front of people, you know, so they got to get their nerves together. They got to know their terminology. They got to know the movements. And um, they got to be a, such a friendly spirit on the mats. I don't want people s scared of the gray belts. I want people to be admire them like, man, he's so nice. And that's something that they all do have. They know they're tough. But now you got to make everyone else tough and not everyone else is tough. You know what I'm saying? And that's where they they come in and they kind of big brother everybody. Any white belt that has a problem, oh, yo, I'm going to put you with the gray wolf. I'm going to put you one of my gray wolves. And that's when people are like, man, I get to work with the gray wolf. Oh, dang. He mentors them when I cannot, you know, especially when I'm on the mats, right? So from gray white to gray belt, and then after gray belt, they go into their blue belt. Same as normal, right? And then from blue belt, they go to blue black. For me, I do blue black because I don't really like the stripes. I'm not really a big stripe guy because that big purple is real deal. You're getting thrown in a, in matches with black belts now, you know, when you're a purple belt. So like, I just want to give them another bar to say like, let's get over this bar too. You know what I'm saying? You're about to step up to that big purple belt. There's no turning back after you hit to that big purple belt, you know? And it's the same thing once they get to their purple, right? They're big purple belt now. They're going to go purple black, right? This is just like the gi. I, I did gi for like three years too. I love the gi ranking system as well. You know, it slows people down. It's not, there's not a rush. You're going to get good, but there's not a rush to get to black belt. You know what I'm saying? So from purple, they go purple, black from brown, they go brown, black, and then they get their black belt. I've heard you mention before that these guys are killers, but they just don't want to compete. I'm just not the type of guy to pressure people to compete. Your advice to those, they are killers, you know, in the uh, gym and Maybe they have some interest, uh, a little bit of interest in competing, but maybe they're hesitant to do so. Or those that don't, do you still feel the same way or what? I still kind of feel the same way. Like in my gym, I just put a lot of accountability and I feel like maybe it does turn people away, but I feel like, you know, that's what you're here for. You're here for discipline. You're here to get into shape and be disciplined about something you do. You know, when people are late to my gym, all right, 10 sprawls, you relate. Exactly. You, you just kind of interrupted class, 10 sprawls. All right, for sure. 
right? Um, and like I do do in-house competitions and I do try to coax everyone to do it just because they're getting so good. Why don't you show yourself and your team that you are getting so good? Sometimes if like, I feel like people are kind of like having a, a problem with it. I'll just be like, look, you know, you don't have to do the competition. It's all right. Just give me 25 sprawls. Cause like, this is just a, a, a pillar. Like when your coach asks you to do something and you deny him, right? All right. That's fine. You know, give me 25 sprawls. That's cool. But like, when promotions come around, you can't be all, man, coach, hey, why didn't I get promoted? Oh, you'd be like, oh, yeah, remember I asked you to do that thing, you know, that I really thought you could do and I knew you could do it, but you denied me, right? There's your issue right there. Eddie's asked me to do things. Yes, sir. Just because, like, he's making him so vulnerable to ask me to do something is huge. That's a connection between you and your coach that I don't, I don't think you should miss out on. But uh, for people who don't want to compete, I feel like in my gym, I'm, I'm still going to be going hard on you like it's competition in the gym. You know, that's just the way I roll. I roll hard. So, uh, but I'm technical. I'm never going to blast anyone or hurt anybody, but I'm going to make it seem like I am. And I'm going to make you feel like your leg's going to blow off, but I'm never going to actually hit the gas because I already know what that's like. In competition, that's what it's like, right? But I just feel people should always try to test themselves. Show yourself that you're not the same person five years ago, two years ago, a day ago. You feel so much better. I swear getting out there and proving to yourself that you could do it. Oh man, it feels so good. And you start to get addicted to it. You don't got to become a world champion, but just to test yourself, that is so powerful for me as, as a teacher to see. But I don't really trip. If a student doesn't want to do it, hey, give me 25 sprawls. It's all good. Because like maybe they're just not ready yet. Maybe they just haven't had that role. That Man, I need to try harder. And it's going to take time. But I I'm willing to wait that time until you really feel like I really want to test myself, you know? Now, a lot of people don't know that you have trained quite a bit in the gi. And I know that you got your blue belt from a different academy where you had to train for a while just because of uh, a distance to another academy that you couldn't go to anymore, correct? Yeah. I was uh, with Tim Planet and um, Eddie ended up having some type of uh, legal issues and he ended up moving to a gym that was pretty far, Burbank. And I trained there for about four months, but it was just too far from where I lived at, almost like two hours. I end up going to Paragon. Shout out, shout out to all my Paragon people. Sensei Frangia. Shout out to Henry Aiken. Henry Aiken was a guy uh, that was a big part of my uh, growth. Jeff Glover, Bill Cooper. There's so many. Uday's a black belt from um, Hollywood Jiu-Jitsu Club. Paragon affiliate. Really big part of my uh, Jiu-Jitsu career. But yeah, I, I definitely feel like uh, the gi was, was great to me. I don't have anything bad to say about the gi. I think it's rough. I think it's rough. <laughs> For me to do so much nogi on my fingers, oh my god, it's and on my lower back too. Sometimes when people are grabbing that belt grip, man, that pressure just gives me such like problems, man, in the gi. But besides that, I have a total fun time in the gi, man. When you get those pistol grips, those pistol grips, or when you get those uh like crazy dog grips on the pants, that's the best grip in the world. What makes a great jujitsu instructor? I feel like the instructor, it really depends on what style of instructor he is. I feel like every style of instructor could be good. Myself, I feel Eddie has one of the better styles of instructing to me because he's a funny, comedian, friendly guy. And um, that's always appeasing. You know, people love to laugh. He's funny, but he's serious, especially on the guys that he that take competition and jujitsu serious. He's serious on us. But it's definitely a mixture of being compassionate and just uh, honest and friendly, being friendly. When, but when you're more of a militant coach like myself, I, I feel like when I get on the mats, it, no, there's nothing funny to me. 
you know, that, that's, that's probably the issue. Like I've been on the mats for war, you know what I'm saying? Fight, fighting off, uh, you know, high level black belts. Even if you're here for self-defense or if you're here for, to get into shape, I want you to get those goals. I do want, and how we are going to get to those goals, you know, and that's my model, you know, we're going to do exactly what you want it to do. We're going to do it the proper, safe and efficient way. Sometimes I feel like that style is not necessarily for everyone. But I feel like everyone really does well with the style, though, personally. In my history of students, I feel like the students who get really good, I feel like that power of getting so good is so much on their psyche. They got so good. And I think it, it kind of just like overwhelms them because there's so much jujitsu. And I just feel like when you get so good so fast, it, it is pretty overwhelming, you know, and I, and I think that's. That's a part of jujitsu I've learned. Like, all right, you know, we got to break these things down. You know, I want to break these things down slowly to students and really let them love every part of jujitsu. Like the guard retention, the passing, the, you know, lockdown, the leg locks, the close guard. Sometimes we just brush past all these games when we just can really talk about the topic. What does your recovery process look like? I'm huge on vitamins. I usually have my blueberries frozen. That's how I start my day. I probably eat around like two. I like to work out in the morning too. So like, you know, usually uh, if I don't go to Eddie's in the morning, I'll do kettlebells in the morning. And if I can't, you know, get to kettlebells, I'll try to, you know, get to a yoga session in the morning. That's always good. But I do love acupuncture. So anytime I get hurt, I'm already to the road to acupuncture because I feel acupuncture could take the pain away. So now I can focus on rehabbing the mobility of whatever happened or healing the scar of whatever happened. Some people believe it. Some people don't. To each is their own. It's fine. And now that I do so many hip stretches, I got a lot of hip stretches now and a lot of like knee mobility stretches, I rarely have lower back pain now. And um, I'm huge on a ice bath as well. Every two months, I'll try to definitely like ice bath myself or try to ice bath with one of my friends who has one at their house. That's always really, really good. I don't know about every other day. It's, it's like a competition for me. It's so brutal. Oh my gosh. Like I'm sweating before I'm doing it. I'm like, I'm nervous. It's like a, it's really like a, a black belt about to tap you. Like you get so nervous. I don't know what it is, but it's amazing for the body. I cannot, I cannot stress to you enough. So what do you think students should be studying off the mats or researching or you know, or do you even ascribe to that? So I do think students should have an Instagram or have a YouTube so they could easily look up the things senseis or their coaches are talking about. Yo, we're doing bullfighter pass today. Hey coach, I'm having a hard time with the bullfighter pass. Hey dude, you should get up, get home, eat some food, hydrate, clean up, and you should watch some, you know, some YouTube on the bullfighter pass. Gi and no gi. Because the details are different, but one of them might convey to you. See, I always tell the students to watch both. Like, jiu-jitsu is jiu-jitsu to me. I'm a no-gi guy, and I love jiu-jitsu. So, you know, you want to do it in the gi, we can do it in the gi. We want to do it in the no-gi, we can do it in no-gi. We can do it with the sambo gi, the sambo uh, kirkta on as well. You know, it's great. I definitely feel like jiu-jitsu is just jiu-jitsu. You know, you, you should study as much as you can, just like basketball players, just like tennis players. You think they don't study the best basketball players and tennis players in the world? They do. But just watching a match can literally change the way you think about jiu-jitsu and look at jiu-jitsu. But I always try to tell people, all right, so let's look up a jiu-jitsu guy that has your body type and you study him. You know, when you see your students or your friends, you're like, man, you got a game just like Keenan Cornelius. I always kind of do that with my students. Like, man, he kind of has a body type like JT Torres. Okay, so like, I'll have him study that guy that has his body type. 
and then boom, he starts to understand jiu-jitsu that much easier. It, it is real. You, you kind of have to let them understand it for themselves at their own pace, right? I felt like with me, I like the way Eddie taught me, but I felt like he could have been harder on me. No, get that, get that bet, you know, do that again. You know, and he was like that, but not all the time. You know, maybe when I got to my brown belt, black belt, he was more like that. But as a purple belt, I wish he could have hit the gas on me a little bit because I like the aggressive coaching. I think it, you know, I get the benefit of it. You know, I'm a competitor. You know, not everyone is a competitor and not everyone has that competitive mindset. But I definitely think you could evolve it and you could learn to have that competitive mindset. As an instructor, a sensei, how are you keeping current? Uh, how do you keep your sword sharp, so to speak? I teach open mat. So when black belts pop up for open mat, I get to scrap with uh, the black belts there. But I also train Tuesday, Thursday in the morning with Eddie. So I get to catch like, you know, five or six black belt rolls. And then I, I like to do strength and conditioning, kettlebells Tuesday, Thursday, if I don't go to class and I'm always trying to stretch with my students, do, uh, do my movement, my yoga, all, you know, every day, I have to do it every day or I'll literally break down every day. I have to do at least 30 minutes of yoga and I'll just like, you know, bust out of a Shavasana flow and just, you know, really relax my body. I feel like it always, uh, it just makes my day a little bit more smoother. Anything else like off the mat in terms of like study or film study or anything? I study everybody. So all my competitors, all my rivals, I study everybody, all your students, all your coaches, all your history, everybody. BJJ Fanatics loves me. Can you tell me a time that you wanted to quit and why? The only reason I ever wanted to quit jujitsu was because like maybe at one time guys were going through like a wingworm phase at, at one of the gyms I was going to. And, you know, I had to lay the hammer down on these guys about hygiene and about being an adult, just being a clean guy. And like, I just felt like uh, the dudes just had staff and wingworm and they were still training. And like, you know, I just had to lay the hammer on these guys. And I, you know, I told these guys like, I'm not going to do jujitsu. This is what it entails. Because I'm just a clean guy. I get weirded out by things really quickly, especially when it comes to, you know, yuck. But I love animals. I love animals. I pick up dog crap and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, any. But when it comes to humans and, you know, being nasty, it just kind of creeps me out. That's why I have tons of hygiene rules at my gym. The women love it. The women love it. I, I actually have a decent amount of women at my gym. And, and, and they love it because it's so clean. The guys are forced to smell good. And the women too, you know, the women too. I definitely feel like that's the only time I was going to ever quit jujitsu because guys are just so disgusting. Lack of hygiene, lack of respect. And that's what I mean by no rules. It's like no holes barred in the gym and no, there's no control. There's no, I don't like any culty behavior. I don't like anything that, oh, this is our click. I don't like that. I don't allow that in the gym. We're one big click. I definitely feel like we all want to do our own thing at times, but I feel like that's the part about being a team player is like learning how to be a team player. You're going to get the chance to do your own thing, but right now we got to be a team player. Your media. I love your YouTube channel. I love your IG and stuff too. Can you talk about like, uh, you know, your YouTube has uh, some videos on there, a lot of good quality videos. Talk about that. Oh yeah, that's actually um, Coach K, Kirsten Kuhar. That's my my lady. Shout out to her. I love you. Yeah, we actually uh, want to put out more, uh, you know, more technique. I know a lot of people have been asking. We definitely work hard on just trying to make it look good for everyone and uh, trying to show uh, what dark arts is really about. And it's, it's definitely about a uh, good atmosphere, High-level drills, focus, humility, and safety. Just big on safety. You know, you're not going to get hurt at my gym. If you're doing things correctly, you're not going to get hurt at my gym. You're going to have a great time. If you don't know how to roll, you're not going to be rolling. That type of confidence has to be built up. And if I throw you out there, it's just a big chance you're going to get you know, guillotined 
And then now you're not going to come back. I definitely feel like once we can just like build our students up. And that's why I like, I, I love the, the YouTube and the IG because it lets us post videos of what we do in class. So students could get more reassured. Oh yeah, I was doing that right. And it's funny how they ask questions about like technique. They already know, man, I did not catch this detail in that video coach. And I'm like, Oh really? You know, and I'm glad you see it in the video though. Sometimes people are kind of weird with like recording them. You know, some students can be weird, but I think it's really good for not necessarily me all the time, but for students to sometimes record themselves so they can see the way they look. I say this all the time. Look, guys, jujitsu is an art. In my class, think of this as like a, a competitive art class and you guys all have your white sheet out right? and I'm walking around. And we have what we want you to draw right here. And I'm just walking around checking you out. And my, and this aggressive art class I'm talking about was, uh, as an, was an art class I was in. And she was the spiciest teacher I've ever met. She showed us all how to draw. Man, she really did. She, she poured her heart out into that class. And that's what dark arts is about. I'm going to pour my, I pour my heart out in every, every session. Every session that I, that I do, I write down ahead of time. Every class. I have millions of notebooks filled. So let's talk about your instructionals too. I know you have one on, uh, if not more, on Jujitsu X as well. Yeah, so I have an oh, instructional on Jujitsu X with, uh, that's called, that's my Pyramid DVD. If you're a closed guard player, guys, man, do not miss that. I'm telling you, straight gold, gold throughout there. And then I have uh, a movement DVD for BJJ Fanatics. And then I have a Dark Thoughts Volume 1 on BJJ Fanatics as well. That's like a, basically a leg lock counter DVD. Like, so how to counter all the new age leg lock exchanges and how to smash and take the back and uh, get your submissions and stay safe. Your thoughts on the future of Jiu-Jitsu? Where do you see it going? It's going in the right direction right now. I, I definitely like all the online teaching. The only thing that really I don't like is like the steroid use. I'm not a big fan of pushing that to students. And uh, it just doesn't show the confidence in you as the instructor or the person who's doing it because it just doesn't show that you had confidence in yourself in the first place. And for me, like if I'm competing, like I want to be the cleanest guy out there. You know, I'm doing this, this jujitsu championship or this win is for me. I did it, not some enhanced drug, just me, you know, and that's what's going to bring people to me because they could feel this came from strictly me. I hate to see students uh, dabble in it or talk about it or be interested in, you know, steroids of any sort. I think that's the only ugly thing I dislike about jujitsu. But I mean, besides that, I think it's going up. I definitely think I would love to see it in the Olympics, like no gi and gi, but preferably no gi. I think we can get there. I think we are more exciting than a lot of these sports. I just feel like we just need a Joe Rogan to, to explain it, you know, at a high level. Can you actually expand on your relationship with John Jock Machado? How, how did you meet and uh, what's your relationship now with him? You know, obviously that's uh, Sensei, uh, Master Eddie Bravo's, uh, his Sensei, his coach. I met him when I was a blue belt. I felt like since I'm, I was uh, under Master Eddie Bravo and I was like his right hand man, you know, I need to know my history. So I went out to John Jock and I just started training with him for probably about two years almost with Eddie in the Gi. And it was amazing. You know, the energy is so different over there. In the beginning, I was kind of like an outsider, but over time, you know, people were really friendly. John Jock is just so masterful. Oh my gosh. He can make the simplest mount escape so complex, but he can also make the, the most complex armbar so simple. 
he just has this ability and like for us in the 90s man he's like he's like broly this is like a dragon ball z correlation he's like broly man for us like he could turn the skies purple once he gets serious rolling that's how good he is and like i roll with him probably like three or four times and um all the rolls with him are like a blur on one minute i'm doing good and the next minute i'm trapped and i'm tapping He's always giving me, um, you know, feedback if I if I ever need it. I could always message him and, and just see, like, am I on the right path? He's definitely, like, my guiding stick. Like, if I'm doing something wrong, if I'm having an issue, I'll contact Eddie Bravo. I'll contact a Master John Jock, especially if I'm having problems with, like, the gym or students or just life, you know? He's always been, like, a, a big mentor for me along with Eddie Bravo. They're, they're some of the nicest guys. I've ever met. It's funny that like a military, a, a more militant coach like myself would come out of two nice guys. That's what makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It does fascinate me to hear all this out of because people always, you know, when they associate like Tenth Planet, they always think ah, oh, freewheeling, anything goes, kind of thing. And with Ooh. you, I'm hearing a whole different thing. You are sensei, Dude, Marvin. Yes. You're not even like, and then all the rules you were talking about. You know, it's just very different oh, sort of. Uh, I think assumption that people have. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of these places are Ten Planet gyms. I'm a Ten Planet an academy so we have rules we have regulations we have policies right if you don't follow them we're probably not the gym for you it's, it's pretty simple i don't want to sway people the wrong way if you actually want to have a safe environment in jiu-jitsu and have fun and get good and actually train with training partners who actually don't want to hurt you this is the place to be for sure where i'm at and you get to roll with a high level black belt all the time and for me i feel like when students roll with black belts you kind of absorb my power I've had students literally roll with me one day and then hit me with my move the next day cleaner than I hit them with it. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's, I have to turn that black belt mode on and we have to, we have to, I have to go after them, you know? But I, I definitely feel like that's a, that's a big thing. A lot of gyms, their students aren't even rolling with their black belt. Not saying black belts don't deserve to be hurt or not rolling, but when you're doing jujitsu, you need that reassurance to roll with your sensei, to roll with your black belt, you know? And um, I definitely feel like, uh, you know, here at, in, at Ten Planet Dark Arts, you're going to get to roll with me. You know, it might not be first day, it might not be second day, but you're going to eventually get to roll with me. You just got to, you know, you got to build up those building blocks. You know, you got to make those Legos to get to that that certain level. A good analogy I really like with uh, Sean Applegate is like that, that pull-up bar. It doesn't matter if you're a blue belt, you just lost your job and you're just having a rough day and you're going into the gym. Just because something happened in your regular life doesn't mean you're not a blue belt anymore. You're still a blue belt. And when you get in that gym, people are looking at you like a blue belt and you're going to have to pull yourself up to that, that blue belt bar, you know, or you're going to even have a rougher day. And that's what I love about jujitsu. It makes you have to suck up whatever's going on in your life and you have to just go in there and, you know, live in the moment. You know, Marvin, what blows me away about you is just your diversity in training teachers and partners that you've had. And even the competition, the elite competition that you've had, you know, being able to experience and feel these people. Dude, I couldn't even tell you if I was a white belt and I was uh, probably walking up to my boy Curtis for the first time. I could not tell you all the stuff that I've went through that, that it would have happened. You know, I'm a big fan of, you know, obviously, you know, staying technical and, you know, staying inside the lines. But in life, you're definitely going to have to take a risk. I'm not scared to take a risk. I felt like jujitsu was a risk, you know, and luckily uh, it, it, it came to my life. It is w what it is today. Like I, I remember being, you know, a kid that went to school and I was I was toting guns at one time before I went to school because I lived so far away from the school. There was numerous gangs in the midst of that area going from literally shooting at kids my age just to get to school. 
to being a first degree uh, black belt under Master Eddie Bravo is not too shabby for me. And it's, it's surreal sometimes for me. It's so surreal. And it's a blessing. So many people helped me get here. I did not get here myself. I should, I should just be thanking the world, you know, and God himself because uh, everyone around me's uh, blessed me so much. It's just still been an amazing life. And I still feel like it's going to be an amazing life. I'm excited to get back to competition. Something about the gym life, it's not going to go perfect in two years. It's probably going to get better in five to six years, but I'm definitely trying to get out and start competing like within the next like year and a half. You know, I definitely want to do at least something, you know, I'm getting the itch back to just like smash. You know, I see a lot of holes in people's games. I feel like I could take them out, but I mean, I'm more of a business guy as well. So like, if you want me to fight, you contact me, you pay my fee and I scrap with whoever the be. But I feel like sometimes promotions don't want to pay. They want you to pay for flight hotel and then give you $500 to compete. Well, it's $500 to fly and it's $500 almost to stay in a hotel. So like, you know, let's just be reasonable. I'd rather you just pay my fee and then I can pay for the rest of my own stuff. What is Dark Arts Training Camp? Because you have Dark Arts Academy. Dark Arts Training Camp is a system of camps that I run all around the world that focus on my style of drilling and my style of uh, technique. And um, it's really to give back to jiu-jitsu. A lot of people aren't getting the, the technique they want. And I try to be able to go everywhere so people could meet somebody they wanted to meet and, you know, just kind of vibe with me. And, we, you know, we actually train really hard. My camps are actually real deal. They're not traincations. They're training camps. You know, we have cardio, we have live drills, we have hella drills. My, my, my training camps are three days, four sessions, one big open mat. So we get to the nitty gritty fast. And like every white belt that I probably have did a training camp with is a blue belt now. After that training camp, they hit the gas on the love, the passion of the sport and the community they found at the training camp. They hung with people they never knew and they had a blast. And we go out to eat and just talk like casual human beings, you know? I feel like it just brings that urgency and that passion into some grapplers. It's a good experience to witness other jiu-jitsu. I like to go to these other places, go to a different class. I get to witness other teachers, how they talk to their students. And I'm like, man, that did, that did not sound good. Did I, do I sound like that? I've had some really big mind-altering experiences with different coaches because I talk to every sensei, every coach. Am I doing this wrong? Should I be saying this? Sometimes I feel like this and they give me their honest opinion and, and I'm mind blown. It's completely opposite of mine. So I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to learn. It doesn't matter if it hurts my feelings. A lot of things are going to hurt my feelings in life and I'm learning to control that. Bushido. You're a hell of an entrepreneur. You're just into, it seems like you've got all these irons in the fire. What has staved off your competition as well? And can you talk about entrepreneurism in general? Obviously, a lot of people in jujitsu are, you know, they're low on funds. You know, a lot of people who are who stay in it and actually become goods are usually the gym rats you know who obviously didn't pay but they cleaned and they helped and you know they were a huge part of the jiu-jitsu community but i mean i just felt like i'm watching master eddie bravo doing seminars him making his life and his passion his money maker and um i've always been a guy that i was always like selling dvds selling candy you know i've always been a guy I, if i have to make money I'm going to make it, you know, always trying to make money the, the right way. I feel like everyone should be an entrepreneur. You know, I feel like everyone should be out there hustling no matter what it is, as long as it's not, you know, against the law and it's keeping people safe. I think you should just get out there. You know, how, how are you going to make any money if you're not out there trying to figure out a way to do it? I'm trying to get to the point where I'm making money while I sleep. That's really the goal because out here, it's getting harder. It's getting harder out here, you know. 
So it's like, you know, we got to take that extra initiative. I don't necessarily want to uh, have to go back to a nine to five because I feel like my passion is way more powerful than that. I just got to master my teaching. I got to master the business aspect of it just as much as I've almost mastered jujitsu, you know, and still trying to master jujitsu. Who are some uh, jujiteros that are exciting you right now? I like the Pedago guys. Shout out to the Pedago guys. Those guys are beasts. I love their, their drilling aspect and their energy and the, their techniques are really clean and aggressive and a uh, great, great instruction. And shout out to Andy Varela. He had a great DVD. I love his passing DVD. Really dope. Andy Rella's an animal, great attacks, uh, beautiful jujitsu, blackout jujitsu, blackout grappling. I love the cradle stuff. I've always been a cradle lover. Fedor, 10 Planet Brown Belt, Eddie Bravo, he's an animal. Elijah Carlton, that's a, that's a bad boy. That's a bad, he's a killer. Shout out to him. He's a monster. Shout out to Renee Souza, animal, new black belt. PJ Barch, he's always on a tear. Abu's at a 10 Planet HQ2, he's another brown belt that's really dope. I would like to see a lot more gyms. Definitely think about implementing a movement class to your program. I think it's very, very, very vital to jiu-jitsu because we could lower all the injuries in jiu-jitsu just with one class. Teaching people how to front shrimp, back shrimp, back roll, gramby, front gramby, side gramby, break fall, side fall. There's a lot of things that they need to know before they even touch jiu-jitsu. If they could do the movements, once they learn the movements, in movement class, you can connect the movements together, like arm drag scoots to combat sit-ups to Gramby. And then now that they can connect two movements, when they get to jujitsu, they can already connect the jujitsu. And it's that much easier to convey to them. And then now they're having a great time. They're learning, they're getting it. It's like, we got to literally clean up that big gray area of students just getting thrown into classes, thrown into open mats. Like some guys can do it, but not everyone. If you don't want them to get hurt and you want them to stay. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I, and I love that, that that's been the emphasis or an emphasis of the show of part of your message. Cause you're right. You know, I, we've had a couple of movement guys on the show and PTs on the show and they mentioned the same thing, how important it is not only to be flexible or whatever, but that end of range strength that movement can give you, you know, those chameleon, those crawls and, and all that stuff that people can't do, man, it, it can only improve your jujitsu. So much, especially for older people. Like my movement class started from people who are injured, all the jujitsu people who have injuries. All my older people. You got older people? That's good. I got tons of older guys. They're my they're my biggest riders because they appreciate the movement class. Man, coach, I don't feel like I want to make it to jujitsu class today. I'm just gonna catch a movement class. Hey man, I'll see you in movement. Sometimes you're beat up. You could just slide by movement. You're gonna get a workout in. And that's just uh something I I, I want all gyms to just kind of like uh, incorporate because it just makes it easier for the students, you know, and the students are gonna love you for it, trust me. Well, Marvin. Where can the listener get more information about you and everything that's happening? You can catch me on uh, at uh, Marvin Castell 10P on IG, and you can catch me at 10P Dark Arts Academy on IG as well. Everyone's welcome to come by and take a free class or jump on my our open mats. You guys are all welcome. And you can also catch me at Dark Arts Training Camps. Uh, we do training camps all over the world. You guys can definitely get one at your gym at any time. It's fun. It's a great environment. And we also uh, sell rash guards at our training camps as well. Oose. Awesome. So everyone, I am Adolfo Ferranda. You are listening or watching Forever White Belt. Thanks so much again. Give us the whole thumbs up, subscribe, and the whole thing on all the socials, Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you may be consuming this. Marvin, thank you so much for your time. It was such a tremendous honor on the show. I was really looking forward to this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, man. Again, uh, appreciate the love, and I hope you uh, happy training. 
Thank you. Peace. All right. See you guys next time.